At the root of security, from my point of view, is what goes into your image is a statement of who you trust. Layers are a great way to separate different concerns and different areas of responsibility within your golden image. At the end of the day, the great thing about golden images is the API is super simple. You just use it, start it up. The challenge for any business is, are we overreacting? These things get much more complex over time. And as we know, complexity is the enemy of security. Hi, I'm Guy Pajarni, CEO and co-founder of Sneak. And you're listening to The Secure Developer, a podcast about security for developers, covering security tools and practices you can and should adopt into your development workflow. The Secure Developer is brought to you by Heavybeat, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybeat.com. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you would like to suggest a topic for us to discuss, find us on Twitter at The Secure Dev. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Secure Developer. Today, I have a great guest with me, Simon Bennett, who is VP Product at Bitnami. Welcome, Simon. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. So, Simon, can you tell us a little bit just about your background, a little bit about uh, what is Bitnami, maybe, if we sort of start from there, you know, what, uh, what is it that you guys do, but then also how you got into this world in the first place? Yeah, for folks who are not aware, uh, Bitnami partners with the big cloud providers to make it really, really easy to build solutions on top of those platforms. So we work closely with some of the big players in that space, and we provide pre-packaged solutions, usually based on open source uh, projects. They could be infrastructure, language runtimes, complete applications around use cases like content management or continuous integration. And really, we help people solve business problems on top of those cloud platforms. So most people are familiar with Bitnami from the offerings that we have in the places like the AWS Marketplace, the Azure Marketplace. We tend to offer solutions wherever people want to work. There's still plenty of people who are doing local development you know, on a, on a Windows laptop or a Mac, so we provide VMs and native packages for them. Uh, we also have a fairly significant selection of solutions targeting the Docker ecosystem, including Kubernetes. So we tend to work across a lot of different technologies and platforms with the goal of helping developers and other types of users solve their business problems quickly and easily. Yeah, so I guess the, the cloud journey is not always as, uh, as smooth, as easy as the, uh, as the brochure said. Uh, well, <laughs> so I, try, to, try to make that, uh, that make that a little bit smoother, a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah, you, you asked about my background a little bit. So sort of the, the rise of cloud platforms, I think, is probably the biggest revolution I've seen in, in my 20-odd career in this industry. You know, I started out on the software development side of the house. You know, I went to university in the UK and sort of the state of the art of software delivery when I entered the workforce was how do we get something on the web and make it work? You know, big sun, you know, E10K, E15K boxes and app servers and just just a, yeah. a tremendously exciting time, but you know, it was truly differentiating to get a company just connected to the web and, you know, maybe a storefront, which was sort of how I got started. I think over the last five years in particular, the rise of cloud platforms and this sort of this new deployment and development model focused on moving quickly is absolutely a game changer. So, you know, my work at Bitnami, which 
certainly involves working with the the cloud providers and some of this more advanced technology is a is a fantastic place to be. Yeah, well, there's a lot of conversations around how the technology grows at an exponential phase, right? You know, it has these these elements where you know we think about the linear amount of what we can create, and every now and then there's these things that really like jump up that exponent, you know, just like you know make it curve just that much faster. And cloud is definitely one of those, right? Just sort of that easy access to uh, to compute. Yeah, absolutely. The adoption of these things is definitely not linear. You know, Simon Wardley's comments around you know punctuated equilibrium, you know, definitely ring true to me. And the cloud platforms themselves have gotten very, very sophisticated in terms of not just the IaaS layer, but the managed services, the security models, the kind of things that you can do are truly amazing. But you now need to take that sort of raw technical capability and apply it to solving a problem, whether it's content distribution or scanning your software more quickly or rolling out a new backend for a mobile service. And that requires both deep knowledge of the cloud platform and the pieces that you're building on top of from an open source point of view. And those are two areas where, you know, Bitnami's expertise and by working closely with those cloud providers, we think we can we can help people be successful across all of those platforms. Cool. So let's dig into that. Like, you know, at this point, some listeners might be wondering uh, if they're sort of on the security, the security podcast or not, or if done. So I actually love that we have these conversations. One of my uh, favorite conversations is to have with people that are not maybe like as explicitly in the security industry, but rather sort of build, uh, build the right tooling for developments for companies to, you know, just sort of do their work successfully, but have a big security emphasis. And I think in, in this conversation, what we're talking about digging into really is this whole notion of images, right? Vietnami as a whole, but also like just, you know, even product aside, just like as a, from an expertise perspective, deal a lot with packaging software, with kind of bundling it together, with making it accessible and available to users. So this is clearly a, a practice that's happened today, you know, as we assemble software, right? And we assemble it in various ways. And within that world, like within those packages lie, lie dangers, right? Like with that lies of security concerns. So let's, let's sort of unravel that a little bit. Maybe we'll start by just this notion of images, right? And like this conversation about golden images or base images. Can you give us a little bit of the rundown of you know, what, is, what, what is this image in the world of cloud? Yes, there's a couple of ways that I look at golden images. And I think in the bad old days, it was sort of a dirty word. You know, there's a golden image and it's a combination of an out-of-date operating system some drivers and some other bits and pieces that came from my hardware manufacturer, and it really never changed. You know, it was literally the lowest common denominator that, that was needed from a software stack point of view to make the thing work. Yeah. I think in the modern world where folks are targeting multiple platforms, they are definitely polyglot shops. They have a huge selection of application languages to choose from. You know, It's no longer a java.net world. Yeah. I'm still learning about, about all of these, these new approaches <laughs> to developing software. So I think the definition of what a golden image is has changed dramatically. You know, it's no longer, here's the ISO, you know, go burn it onto a physical piece of hardware. It's really, what's the standardized and blessed runtime that we want to build on top of? It could be delivered as an OVA, it could be delivered as a Docker image, it could be delivered as an army, and I think layering is a big innovation around golden images, sort of layering each incremental improvement 
one on top of the other. But the other big change from sort of the, the V1 of golden images from my point of view is the application of automation so that they don't go out of date. You know, the bad old days where change control committee would update the golden image once a quarter just doesn't work. That's the opposite of what we need to both ship software and, and react to the evolving security threats. So yeah. automation is absolutely at the heart of making golden images work. You have to know what went, went into that golden image, who's responsible for it, and in a matter of a few minutes, be able to create a new version and get that into test. That's really sort of the baseline of, of yeah. what you need to do to deliver, I think, a secure and usable environment for your developers and your ops team to consume. Yeah, so you know, kind of unraveling this a little bit. So images remain at the starting point. You know, we talk about images, and I guess we haven't really introduced that. Uh, is that images are are kind of the starting point for a machine or a mm-hmm. starting point for an application. So I guess that kind of dates back. I didn't even think about that. Right, it dates back all the way back to those sort of city city images that we burned down. I guess I got I got kind of stuck into this cloud world. So so you start off from those elements. There were still the golden image. They were just minimalist. And I guess we're talking about two evolutions here, you know, layering, which we should probably chat about separately, but then also the the depth and the proliferation maybe of the golden images. So it goes from one golden image that is the lowest common denominator to multiple, I don't know, are they more golden? Or are they less golden? You know, they're like a, they're shining some capacity or the other images that contain more content and as such a stronger starting point for you to come along. But because they contain more, maintaining them well becomes kind of a, a more paramount concern that you have to do on a regular basis. So yeah, I mean, I think it's fine. It's, it's kind of an interesting actually to take every time. It's nice to sort of see the the historical context for those. So I guess I don't know. Should we talk about layering them before? Yeah, no. Let's let's dig into the layering topic a little bit. Yeah. So what is this layering of images? Yeah, I think the big innovation, and I think Docker certainly gets a lot of deserved credit for popularizing this notion, although it's you know existed in other forms for a lot longer is layers are a great way to separate different concerns and different areas of responsibility within your golden image. At the root of security, from my point of view, is what goes into your image is a statement of who you trust. And there are folks that are contributing pieces to that golden image who are on staff. You know, Your operations team probably has opinions around hardening and which agents to use in production. But there's a whole host of other folks who you're implicitly trusting in rolling out an application, the wider open source ecosystem. There's some tremendous innovation going on around things like message queues and databases and a lot of innovation in the Linux kernel. There's a lot of trust area there. Folks would have traditionally gone to an enterprise-focused vendor like Red Hat for that. But there are more choices these days, especially in a cloud world, you know, things like Amazon Linux 2, Alpine, you know, there's a there's just a huge plethora of different ways to solve the problem at different layers in the in the software stack. And packaging all of those dependencies up into a golden image is just a way to tame that tremendous complexity. Yeah. So instead of dictating, you know, our golden runtime is going to be this very specific version of Java, 
you can be much more flexible. We have a preference for ABC language runtimes, you know, Java, .NET, and Go. You can go outside of those boundaries, but here's where you would slot in your layer if you wanted to go and experiment with Node or uh, Scala or Rust or something, something like that. So it's sort of trust and constraints that sort of roll into that, as well as enabling some flexibility. So kind of the layering allows you to say, like before, you'd trust, but you'd also demand maybe, you know, of someone to create this like base image that includes a lot. Maybe so maybe this is the evolution like you used to be in that sort of lowest common denominator and then you got nothing really like you got a template that was very minimalist. You had to install everything on top of it. But if you went all the way to something that is very deep, then you got constrained environments that forced, you know, Java, whatever, XYZ. And now with layering, you're able to, in theory, benefit the best of both worlds. So you can use multiple common, like low common denominators, and then layer on on top of those, the different kind of runtimes and capabilities in them. And you're right, the Docker popularized it. But I guess like fundamentally, golden images are a layer in their own right. Like right in a machine that is running, it has a layer of the golden image and whatever it is that you've installed on top of it. Yeah, from a consumption point of view, the layers are not always visible. Yeah. If you're using a Docker-based environment, you know, the layers are explicit and you can you can go do interesting things from a security and introspection point of view. But even if you're working with OVAs or armies or other sorts of virtual machine images, I think there's a lot of value in thinking about layering even though it's not necessarily manifest in the final consumed artifact. You know, at the end of the day, the great thing about golden images is the API is super simple. You just use it, start it up, whatever that means in your environment, whether that's you know, Docker run, launch. Yeah. So the friction that you're introducing for a developer or, or an analyst is, is really, really minimal, and that's really the big payoff of adopting a golden image-based approach. I guess once you have layers, what is the difference between a golden image and just a layer? I mean, if I could choose, if I had five layers, whatever, I had Alpine, and on top of that I had you know, Java of a certain version, then on top of that I had some application server on top of that. Each of those things is a golden image on its own right, no? I mean, is there a difference between a, whatever, a golden layer I don't know if such a thing should coin this, a golden layer and a golden image. Yeah, I think the, the way I would think about that is, I'm not quite sure. I'm not sure if golden layer should, should be a term. Let's make it a term, term of art right now. I think the way I would think about that is the layers that are further up are taking implicit dependencies on the layer below. So things like you know a layer that's putting some... CIS-inspired hardening in place, it is going to be somewhat dependent on the layers that go below. You know, good, yeah. good engineering practice says minimize those couplings, but in most cases there is a dependency between, you know, how do I manipulate how this particular daemon is going to operate in production and where that config file lives, to take a really simple example. So... In theory, I can swap out my rail base image for uh, base layer and swap Alpine in. In practice, life is a little bit harder than that. Yeah. So I think it's yeah it's an interesting idea, especially for things like static analysis. You can sort of take a look at here's one approach to this layer in our stack. How does it compare to another one? But 
at runtime, it's really the whole image, which is a combination of all the layers and everything that's, that's needed to make a running deployment, is really the unit of consumption. Yeah. I think the other thing that is interesting from my point of view is how does this intersect with some of the more modern sort of function-oriented approaches? Uh, if you look at things like AWS Lambda, looked at through the lens of a layered golden image, what they're essentially doing is cutting a couple of the bottommost layers off. <laughs> yeah. Where you were sort of implicitly trusting Amazon if you were building on top of Amazon Linux 2 or maybe the Debian maintainers if you were building on top of Deb. Something like Lambda takes those bottommost layers and says, you were trusting us already, how about you just consume this directly from us via an API? And that's a very interesting consumption model. Yeah, Just because layer sprawl is a thing. These things get, get much more complex over time. And as we know, complexity is the enemy of security. Yeah, if you can't understand it. So you know, I think it's all, we totally need to coin the golden layer uh, term <laughs> over it. And uh, yeah, it's a great perspective to think about like container lambda layers. That's really all they've done is they've cut a couple of the layers down uh, from below and maybe you know added some some wrapping or how do you package those up? So we have these images. You know, let's uh, you know we've been dancing around security for a bit. We talked about trust and how you know we have these golden images on which we build our applications or that serve as the starting point for our application. And you know we've composed them in this fashion or another uh, based on like how much trust we put into each of those. I guess we kind of have these two paths for security to talk about. One is about how do you keep the images themselves secure? And then the second is what are the security implications? You know, like how does it help and how does it hurt if either of those keep your application secure? You know, if you sort of kept those uh, those images. So maybe let's start with the with the former. So we have these images, we built the applications on top of them, we trusted the images to be uh, to be secure. How do we how do we keep these images safe? You know, like what's involved in doing that? Is it easy? Is it hard? Uh, I think it's pretty significant in that it's a continuously moving target. Sort of the first benefit of combining all of these pieces into a golden image is you know what's actually running. And this is a, a pragmatic solution to the problem called how do I understand what the dependencies of my dependencies are and keep going down the chain. You know, it's dependencies all the way down, but if you have a golden image which has been pre-configured and pre-built, you can fairly accurately answer that question in a definitive way. This is a huge benefit because you now know to whom do I need to be receiving that update information. Just because a security vulnerability is found, how do I know that I need to take action on it? Even at the most basic level, are we paying attention to the right mailing lists? from an open source point of view, where I'm pulling a component from maybe a team that's inside the company, is there a process in place? You know, Are they providing internally focused release notes? Does it include CVE information? If not, should they? Do they know how to reach me on the weekend, you know, on a Sunday night? Because we all know that these kind of things, they, they happen at the least opportune moment. <laughs> yeah. I think the other big benefit of golden images, given this what's in the box sort of manifest, is it helps you prioritize what are the most impactful things that we need to be paying attention to. 
these golden images, when they're running, are running in the context of a production environment. And not all of the things that go into that image are equally important from a security point of view. So it makes it possible to do things like, let's focus initially on components that are remotely accessible over the network. You know, we've done our due diligence around perimeter security and segmenting our infrastructure, but based on our threat model, you know, this is a logical place to start. So maybe a lot of the other things we can defer and maybe focus on the most valuable things first. So, so this is like from the perspective of how you know how does using golden images help your security? Mm-hmm. Uh, in that sense, I guess golden images they offer constraints, you know, and it's already, it comes back always to this notion of you know the bigger the entity, the less flexible it is. Mm-hmm. But once you've crowned a an image golden or whatever you've called it, then you've kind of entitled it now to some special attention. But it also means that you gave it some some special privileges within your system because you can say, okay, for this golden image, because it is only allowed maybe to use these components in this fashion, or because I know all these extra things around it, mm-hmm. that I can uh, further refine. Like, how do I how do I prioritize security concerns around it? You know, how do I think about securing its perimeter or sort of securing around it, etc. So I guess that's kind of always the balance. So golden images in that respect serve as the control mechanism for maybe the security side of the fence. You know, within an organization to say. Yeah, you know, go on and embrace all these different layers and all the mess and compose them. But I want you to reduce it down mm-hmm. to this like manageable number of golden images, and then those I can cope with. You know, those I can help you secure. Yeah, I think the other thing that sort of gets not talked about enough, sort of the the concept of a golden image implies a binariness. You know, either it's golden or it's not. And certainly in the companies that we've been working with, who are targeting some of these platforms, life is not binary for them. It's it's much more common to have a sort of staged graduation environment sort of process in place for all of their functionality. And this is not just from a security point of view. So the bar to getting deployed into production is pretty high and gold is the required standard. Yeah. If you would like to deploy into a staging environment, there's a silver image. The level of review isn't quite exactly the same, but that reflects the fact that the risk to the business is different. Maybe you have access to some privileged systems, but what's running in the staging environment has been purged of customer PII. So the bar can be lower to strike a better balance between control and letting a thousand innovative flowers bloom. Yeah, and I guess to an extent, it's also about like uh, you know we're talking about the security constraint, but the silver image can also be sufficiently similar to the gold to believe that functionally whatever works on silver would work on gold in the vast majority of cases. So, but it still allows for debugging or like you know all those components that you don't want available maybe in production quite as much. So we have these like uh, you know gold and leading up to gold type images, and we're building all sorts of taxonomy here. Our silver images, our bronze images, our bronze layers, <laughs> and and we're building it. So so we're using. So that's one aspect. Like that's one advantage from a security perspective using images. I guess the other thing: Have you seen cases where security controls are built into the images? I mean, can you kind of require layers of security that like their job is hardening, or do you typically see that as more trimmed layers? How people consume that definitely varies by technology. 
in the folks that we are talking to are either consuming our marketplace images or, or working with tools like Bitnami's Stacksmith, they're definitely looking to layer in additional customizations. It's pretty unusual for somebody to take an existing image and consume it as is. There are always considerations that are either driven by security needs, operational needs, things like you know monitoring come up pretty often. And those are layered on top of. So I guess that's one aspect, which is like you start with whatever, with an Alpine or mm-hmm. Ubuntu or whatever, and you would layer on monitoring. Yep. Do you see it also work for hardening? Like, would you add a layer to sort of tweak or you know, basically diminish a previous layer? Yes, we, we certainly do see that. It tends to be more configuration fine-tuning for hardening than wholesale sort of replacement of pieces, I would say, more, more, more often than not. The other aspect of customization that I think we're seeing a fair amount of is integrating into existing systems, you know, whether that's plugging into an IDS or plugging into an identity management system. You know, these are pretty common things that just need to work everywhere within the organization from an operations point of view. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So we talked about you know two security advantages of using these golden images. You know, one is kind of the control, and the second is that you can actually use them as a mechanism to introduce integrations into security systems or or other forms of hardening or or introduction of security capabilities and tooling on top of them. So I guess those are two pretty significant capabilities. What about securing the images themselves? So these are like advantages to like why you should use it. Uh, we'll talk about challenges maybe in a sec. Mm-hmm. How hard is it to keep, like, what are the key, right, if you were to enumerate sort of a handful of best practices around keeping the images themselves secure, maybe once you practice yourself in, in Vietnami? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the things that we've learned that are really important in adopting golden images, I already mentioned one in, in passing, which is automation. Golden images themselves, depending on which ones you're you're consuming, are not generally small things. You know, they're pretty significant in that they're an entire runtime and all of the things that, that depend on it. So automation from the get-go, even if it's with a, a simple point solution, has disproportionate benefits down the road. I think any environment where you're looking to deploy software of this complexity, doing it once manually to kind of get a feel for it is about the limit of the number of times that you should be going through that process manually. So just good hygiene around what are the steps that it takes to build an image and is the environment in which that image known good? Is it clean? You know, one of the biggest challenges, I think, in putting golden images into practice at scale is making sure you have good change control over the environment and the context that images get built in. Yeah. If you put all the same ingredients in, but you're using a different kitchen each time, you're going to get a slightly different result, to use a terrible analogy. <laughs> I think the, the other big area that Bitnami has invested in internally, which is an extension of automation, is the testing part. So automatically applying testing, both to make sure that best practices are applied and to ensure that the golden image is fit for purpose, sort of end-to-end type testing, is a huge time saver. We have a very widely globally distributed team, and the fact that somebody can 
kick off a, a speculative change to a golden image and not just get it built and delivered to the right environment, but wake up to a set of results which shows you know, these functional tests passed and we may or may not have a couple of regressions you know, down here the next morning yeah. um, or hand that across to uh, the team in the next time zone is just hugely valuable. Right. And that's a little bit more specific also to your environment. So like Vietnami in one form or another, you know, can provide you with a whole horde of different you know, gold images or equivalent. Mm -hmm. But I think inside an organization, you're sort of likely to be a little bit less smaller numbers, if you will, you know, hopefully of golden images. Although per the previous conversation, you know, they would be, they're not quite as small or not quite as few as before. Yeah, I think that's definitely possible. You know, Bitnami is a little bit unique in that we're working across so many different public cloud providers, but very few of the conversations I'm having with large companies, are they working with one or even two platforms? Yeah. You know, it's very much a we have a selection of different platforms we want to target for business reasons. Some are cost, some are you know, existing partner relationships. Their IT infrastructure is getting more complex from a vendor management point of view. So I think that the delta is maybe a little bit less than you might think. So I guess you know, a different way of saying it is that these golden images, you're going to rely on them mm -hmm. and they're, they're going to go forth and multiply because like all of the different apps are going to are going to build on them. So the advantage is you need to secure fewer things, mm -hmm. but you know, the demand or the requirement is you better secure these things well because you know they will they will propagate. I love that analogy to uh, if you think about like OpenSSL and Heartbleed, for instance. Heartbleed was a bad vulnerability, hardly the worst vulnerability you know that we've seen. We've seen far worse. But really, the reason it was such a big deal was that OpenSSL was everywhere. Mm -hmm. This vulnerability naturally existed in many cases. So I guess in that sense, when you're packaging software, you know whether you're packaging it through a library that you consume or you're packaging it from underneath, you know by building on a, on a base image, then in both those cases, the value in those base images multiplies. But whatever security problem, you know, if you manage to get a malicious component into that or a vulnerability or any of those components, that multiplies and, and really sort of expands its reach as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the pragmatic approach here is whether it's something like OpenSSL or you know, somebody you know, pulling in a package that had not been appropriately securely vetted, these kind of problems are going to happen. There's no amount of automation or upfront thinking, I think, that can protect you from that. But if you think about your software delivery pipeline as having a series of checks and balances that are independent, even though you've sort of hardened your build environment, you're only pulling from trusted places, there's still a tremendous amount of value of doing static analysis, of having a, a runtime you know, security module as part of your infrastructure because it helps you with what should the right remediation step be for my business. Yeah. The answer is not always rebuild the image and deploy it everywhere. Having an engineer in the loop to say, yes, on paper, this is a critical vulnerability. Yes, the OpenSSL package is present on our golden image, but it's not listening on any interfaces. We're using it for certificate generation or something else. Let somebody, preferably the application developer, because they have the domain expertise, step in and say, 
we have the ability to update this package via a golden image and we can do it quickly. But in this case, we don't need to. Yeah, because you have the knowledge. Yeah, we can make a decision quickly and react appropriately. I think the challenge for any business is, are we overreacting? And an overreaction is good in that it's solving the problem as reported, but is it resulting in good decision-making and good resource allocation overall? Yeah, and sometimes it's urgency. Yeah, severity and urgency are, are very different. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit indeed about the ownership, and maybe this is like a good way to advance this. So we have these images, that they're good, and they're, and they're built, and you've hopefully done a decent job securing them, and you're doing that in a continuous fashion. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, there's these organizational boundaries, right? So like one team is building or providing those images and maintaining them, some infrastructure team, some central team. Mm-hmm. And then you have you know, developers you know, within different applications that are building on those images. Now, a vulnerability comes along and you find out that App X you know, is using golden image Y and it has this vulnerability in it. What happens next? You know, what do you see happening inside organizations? Who responds? Who gets the alert? Right? Who needs to be woken up? Who has that conversation you just described? Who's responsible, if you will, for fixing that? Yeah, I think from the discussions that I've had, it's very, very, very contextual to the organization, both in terms of what are their business drivers, but also what does their org chart look like? I think it's very, very hard. And frankly, one of the things I I enjoy about my job at Bitnami to kind of map that landscape out a little bit. I think there's different types of companies depending on how they're looking at the cloud opportunity broadly. There are definitely some places for whom developers are an extremely scarce resource and are sort of organized around maximizing developer productivity. Those tend to be the folks that are much more sophisticated from an automation point of view. For folks who maybe don't have a deep bench in application developers, they tend to be interested in solutions that are consumable by existing teams that are not necessarily aligned to the organization. So whether the security team and the operations team is one team or two can be really foundational here. Who's running the infrastructure? You know, there's a really important angle here that we haven't really talked about, which is in any large company, the infrastructure is operated by a lot of different groups. And some of those groups are not employees, right? They're service providers or, you know, outsourced uh, service providers. That's adds a whole new layer of complexity. It's another organization to trust in delivering that, that functionality. But returning to your, your original question, I think it's hard to answer your question in a general way because it's so specific to how each company is run and, and how it's organized. I think the the thing that I think is in common across the folks that, that I've been working with is they are all looking at ways to move faster. You know, in many cases, Adoption of the public cloud, at least early on, wasn't necessarily a a central mandate, but it helped people understand that concepts like self-service, API-driven services, time to instant gratification 
are a very, very powerful way to influence the behavior of, of their internal stakeholders. And that's the big opportunity. You know, whether it's sort of platform layer, a golden image, or a managed service on top, yeah. the person who can deliver it in 45 seconds or less is going to see a huge amount of adoption. <laughs> yeah. I think fundamentally, so, you know, I, t- I take your point about the, uh, the complexity and how it sort of changes per organization and who you have here. But I guess maybe a valid point when you think about security mm-hmm. of these images is, uh, you know, very often we talk about how we get going. You know, we talk about how the fact that we, you know, whatever, we create that golden image and we secure it and you get going and you roll out your app on it. But when we talk about response, or we, might, we don't always talk about the sort of the maintainability mm-hmm. of the app that builds on top of it. So I guess maybe maybe the takeaway from a security perspective is to say each organization is kind of its own unique snowflake, but you have to think through the steps that say, okay, a vulnerability is going to come along, you built on this golden image, who do you expect to respond? Or I rolled up a new version of that golden image, it fixed a bunch of vulnerabilities, what do I expect my developers to do? And I don't know if you've sort of seen a change, but I feel like you know that last statement, for instance, has a difference between kind of images or AMIs, if you will, you know, the cloud images and containers. Because in the context of an AMI, you can change the AMI mm-hmm. and a central team can choose to reboot an instance and it would launch on the new AMI. While in containers, you know, you've pulled in from a base image, you're going to shut it down, you're going to run it, the same thing is going to run again, you know, with whatever vulnerable components are in there. And there are some interesting concepts from like the Google managed layers or maybe Lambda layers. Those components were basically... You know, they're taking a portion of those things out of your control and, and in favor, they can manage it for you. But fundamentally, you know, you just you have to think through, you know, how those things work. Have you seen, I guess, to, to cap it off, probably have kind of going a little long here, but just to sort of focus specifically on, uh, on that last question. Have you seen a difference in how those indeed golden images get managed in production when they're a Docker layer versus a, uh, shall we say, uh, you know, like a, an AMI or some other cloud VM? Yes, the tooling around the container pieces is quite different. And down at the lower level, the life cycle of, of these components is, is very, very different. You know, in a container-based world, we're not talking about managing hundreds or thousands of running instances of an application. It's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions. You know, we added a comma to the number of things, so that, that brings a whole bunch of complexity. Yeah. The sort of upcoming set of tooling, particularly in the Kubernetes system, I think is very interesting because it's been designed to deal with that scale problem from the get-go. So a sort of simple canary green-blue rolling update where there's a human in the loop just doesn't work super well at container scale. So making use of automation on the deployment side and some of the tight loop principles, I think is, it's still early, but I think it shows great promise. So yeah, so containers are, you know, they're a brave new world in many respects, you know, and you know sometimes maybe leapfrogged by Lambda, but, uh, but automation, yeah. As we grow from the scale of the CD to the scales of VMs to the scales of cloud images, containers are kind of the next, uh, the next level of scale. And in all of those, automation is key. And I guess kind of understanding the organizational boundaries and understanding who's going to do what when is something that you have to figure out in uh, your surrounding. Yeah, I think sort of from a prioritization point of view, if you're moving from thousands to millions of things, you know, automation moves from the nice to have to the not optional 
category. So as, as a product person, that's that's a key distinction. <laughs> Cool. So, well, this, this has been fun and we've been going long, you know, because of that. It's sort of a good conversation. I'd like to think, like, before I uh, kind of let you be, uh, be on your way back to the day job, I'd like to ask every guest that comes along if you have sort of one piece of security advice, you know, some sort of pet peeve uh, of a security thing that's bugging you, some, you know, just, just one piece of advice for somebody looking to level up their sort of security uh, caliber, what would that recommendation be? I don't know that I can dispense security advice. Uh, I'm definitely not a subject matter expert, but I've learned I've learned a lot from your podcast. So thank you for for putting that together. I think sort of my key takeaway for this is software. At the end of the day, whether we're talking about it from a security angle or a delivering features point of view, it's a team sport. It's all about the people and. You know, as leaders within our organization, it's about making sure that our people have the best tools and they're empowered to deliver a, at a high level, especially when it's in an evolving space like containers or Lambda. We tend to talk a lot more about tools and platforms and the technical stuff, but the constant across all of these generations of tooling is the people. And the more that we are able to engage and empower those folks, I think the better the outcomes that we'll be able to achieve. Well, that's awesome advice. Well, Simon, this has been great. Thanks a lot for coming onto the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And uh, thanks everybody for uh, joining and hope you join us for the next one. That's all we have time for today. If you'd like to come on as a guest on this show or want us to cover a specific topic, find us on Twitter at The Secure Depth. To learn more about Heavybeat, browse to heavybeat.com. You can find this podcast and many other great ones, as well as over 100 videos about building developer tooling companies, given by top experts in the field. 